0: Bob McCowan podcast brought to you by BetRivers. Rivers. Download the BetRivers online casino and sportsbook app today. McCowan here, Shannon there. Well, the Raptors win a game last night. They won in the first half by a big number on the same day they, uh, uh or first game they had without Pascal Siakam. What do you think that meant? Anything?
1: I, I I'm not sure. Remember, they they actually got off to a pretty good start after the last trade too, Bob. Yeah. Um, when you when you think that uh, Barrett and quickly made a difference when they showed up, but um, I, you know, I I think we have to wonder now what we're going to see uh, on a regular rotation from this basketball team for the rest of the season, uh, and what the philosophy will be between now and I guess. I guess the draft lottery now is the most important day for this basketball. Well, maybe,
0: but, you know, they can always trade those picks they got from Indiana.
1: Yeah, oh, sure. And and I I suspect that they will even trade a couple of the guys they got, uh, at least one of them uh, that they got in the Siakam trade. Now, we're going to talk to Jack Armstrong about it, but are are you sad to see Siakam leave? Sure. You
0: know, I thought he was uh, he was kind of the face of the franchise for a bunch of years. Certainly their best player. And uh, I got to know him, you know, we did our first interview. The first interview he did uh, as a Toronto Raptor, right after he got drafted, was with us. Mm-hmm. And I remember that well. So, And I've kept in touch with uh, Siakam's agent on a personal level. So uh, I'm sad to see him go.
1: Yeah, they, they it's it's amazing, you know, as as important as the Raptors winning that championship uh, I guess now four and a half years ago, um, if we would have told Raptor fans that basically the roster would be dismantled in five years, I wonder what they would have thought
0: well, no, but uh, the Raptor was the raptor's roster was essentially dismantled. One year after, or less than a year after they won the championship, they got rid of three or four of their key players, starters, and uh, so they changed right then,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I, and I mean, I know it started with the uh, with Kawhi, but uh, uh, you know, the fact that in the last uh, little while we've seen last two years, we've seen uh, Lowry leave, we've seen uh, um. Uh, you know now, Siakam and uh, it's uh, and Van Vliet leave. I think that uh, it's a it's a different mentality. I think with this basketball club, and you have to wonder how much patience the fans will have in the next little while, don't you? Well, I
0: uh, sure I I said at the beginning of the year, and I got argued with. This was not a playoff team, and I think you'd have to acknowledge that they don't look like a playoff team right now. In spite of what they did last
1: night, I didn't think they were a playoff team. I thought that the, uh, if they got to the 36 wins last year, or this year, it would have been a miracle. Uh, well, and it's, it, it, it'll be, be even bigger miracle now. So, yeah, I agree. All right, let's talk right. to Jack. Jack Armstrong next on the McCowan podcast.
2: Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP, because you'll earn both loyalty-level points and bonus store points on every real-money wager you make. You must be 19+, available in Ontario only please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600, or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. McCowan there. Shannon here joined by Jack Armstrong from world headquarters in Lewiston, New York. (laughs) So, Jack, uh, your your, uh, your thoughts, first blush, of what Messiah and Bobby were able to do with the, the trade of Pascal Siakam to the Indiana Pacers.
3: Well, I think uh, it's pretty reasonable to look at it and say that, uh, you know, they looked around the landscape and said this is about as good an offer as we're going to get and uh, made the deal. Uh, and I think when you put the two together, along with the OG Ananobi, Transaction. Obviously, I think you're a little bit more wowed by that because you're getting two starters back uh, for him. Whereas you're getting Bruce Brown, who's a very good player, was on a championship team a year ago in Denver, and uh, two other guys that are going to be more uh, just kind of cap filler, uh, and then uh, three first round picks. Um, so to me, I think when you look at it, uh, it, it clearly signals that they're uh, restructuring, rebuilding, rebooting, whatever way you want to describe it. Um, and, and it's an end of an era. Uh, the, the last major piece of the championship era uh, is gone now. And uh, it's a new era now in, in, bas- in basketball for the Raptors in terms of Scotty Barnes, Emmanuel Quickly, R.J. Barrett and company.
0: As far as I know, Indiana has not signed Siakam, right? Correct. So here's a question I think I I use I have a lot, and I never received an answer to it. Siakam, theoretically, would come back to the Raptors, right, next year?
3: Oh, that's a possibility, yeah.
0: But it almost never happens, Jack, where you trade a guy, get a bunch of assets, and then resign the guy you know, a few months later, why not?
3: Why not? I, I think, uh, I think that they uh, they reached a point where I think they looked at it and said, uh, to go 30, 35% theoretically of your cap, um, on a, on an extended deal beyond three years is probably not something that matches the timeline that they're looking at. So I think they felt like let's get the best deal possible
0: well, that's the uh, Siakam yeah. argument. I'm saying theoretically, like in general, why wouldn't you trade a guy when you're in that position and then resign him and you wind up getting the player back and you wind up with all the assets you got in the trade?
3: Uh, it, it sounds good in theory. I don't. I have never seen it happen from anyone. No, neither have I. And I think you'd have to have almost a wink-wink with the player and the agent. Well, sure. Uh, and, and on the other hand, on the other hand, what you're doing is probably doing bad business with the other team because you're, try, you're trying to do a, a deal in good faith. And in my opinion, the best trades are the trades that benefit both sides. I think if you look at the Knicks Raptors trade, I think that's a trade that benefited both teams, and I think both teams are very happy with that. So I, 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 I in theory, and in practicality. And in in from an ethical perspective, I think if you look at both sides, I don't think uh, I don't think anyone would enter into that.
0: Look, if you're Indiana, though, you're all your bud to bot is Siakam for the rest of this year. You may lose him to somebody else. Why do, Why would you care if he went back to the Raptors?
3: Well, I I think what you got not only did you get him, you got his bird rights. So you sure. have you have something uh, better than anyone else in the league has. And that is you could sign him for longer and more money than any other person on the market. So you're going to be able to make the best. So they've already done the math. They know what they're going to offer him. They know what his value is to them. Uh, I'm sure wink, wink, uh, those discussions have already happened in some way, shape, or form in terms of loose parameters with his representation And there's, uh, I mean, look, look. I mean, O.G. Ananobi went to the Knicks. Uh, You know, his representation is directly tied. Leon Rose, the president of the Knicks, Leon Rose's son represents O.G. Ananobi. So wink, wink again. Uh, This stuff doesn't happen without a lot of background discussion and background research in terms of what's going to make. So uh, uh, to me, I think. Indiana is making this deal, fully expecting uh, with the with the bird rights and with the team that they have uh, to to have a long term partnership with him.
1: I, 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 and in fact, I mean, I, I'd be shocked, wouldn't you, Jack, that if Kevin Pritchard and the people in Indiana haven't had some sort of discussion and comfort that they felt they could get Siakam on a contract, they would even think about doing this trade. Well, here's the difference.
3: I think when the Raptors traded for uh, a guy like Kawhi Leonard, he was uh, there was a lot of questions physically whether he could hold up. So it was a, it was a big risk trading Demar Derozan, Jakob Purtle on a number one pick, Danny Green who had had some health issues as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so they were taking a risk. They were taking a flyer, but they had gone as far as they could. So they said, you know, risk versus reward, we're going to go for it. And they felt confident in the medical file uh, of Kawhi that they could get the job done. Clearly they did. Um, I think with Pascal, you don't have any of that. What you have is the fact that even if he were to walk, you really didn't give up that much. You gave up uh, two low number one picks in a week draft, this upcoming draft. You gave up a pick in – 2026 that is top four protected and you think you're still even if you don't have pascal siakam you still think you're going to be good and uh, on because you didn't trade any of your core pieces and then Mm -hmm. last but not least uh you know you also have that cap space back so uh, i i think there's uh i think that it's a pretty educated bet and guess on their part that they feel pretty good about the parameters of which doing this trade. And even on the low side, uh, it's still not an, an outrageous
1: risk that they just took. How many games do you think Bruce Brown will play for the Raptors? Because it sound? It certainly <laughs> sounds like the scuttlebutt is that before the deadline, Bruce Brown might be moved as well. Well, i tell you what. If I'm one of the
3: top 10, 12 contending teams, and he's a guy, quite frankly – uh, you know, it's a team option next year on his contract, not his option. So, I mean, this is a guy that would be a great fit for a lot of good teams. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 would, I would be uh, – I'd be a team, if I were one of the top 12 teams out there, particularly one of the top five, six teams, I would look long and hard and say, uh, w- would this make sense? So that could be another uh, bit of assets that the Raptors get. Uh, on the other hand, you can hold on to him. He can finish the season. Uh, you could pick up his option. You could decide not to pick up his option. If you don't pick up his option, it opens up cap space uh, and then puts you in a position. If you hold off signing Emmanuel quickly, uh, you could be you know north of $30, 35000000 million in terms of being out there in the marketplace for free agency. On the other hand, do you look at yourself as a destination franchise or do you try to build more so through trades, the draft internal development? I think when you look at the Raptors over their 29 year history, I think they've been a franchise more that's been tried to build uh, from the secondary fashion that I mentioned because they they're to. not they're, they're not Miami, they're not LA. they're not New York. They're not going to get the big fish.
0: No, and uh, in more than a few occasions, the big fish have left here. They've decided not to stay, right? Is yeah. that fair?
3: Well, I mean, well, lost as it's many, particularly.
1: they it's, they, it's, they it's said particularly, lost free agent they got. Yeah,
3: it's particularly fair. Early in the in the, in the history, obviously, Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter force a trade, Chris Bosh. Uh, I think of late, every other guy has signed an extension to stay. The only one was a major risk going in and you knew it with, with Kawhi Leonard that the clippers were the, the main competition in that. and he you know to, you know he wanted to play at home, which you know, I don't begrudge him that one bit and he just signed an extension there last week when we were in Los Angeles. So uh, I think the Raptors bottom line, the franchise is in a different place than it was years ago. I think players like playing here. they're comfortable being here. Uh, ownership management, coaching, you name it, have done a good job showing their commitment. So I don't worry about that. It's more so uh, there are only a few franchises that really attract uh, the the free agent. And I think you got to just build a certain way here. And the way the Raptors built the last time to win a championship was successful. Uh, Now, obviously you could talk at length about what took place uh, in terms of losing the particular players, from 2019's championship run and where the roster sits now, um, that's a different debate.
1: Actually, that brings up a: a Do you think <laughs> losing Van Vliet for nothing had an effect on them moving Siakam this time? Yes, definitely, absolutely. Uh, because you know,
3: people in pro sports call it asset retention. So uh, there's no question. Not only with him but with uh, OG Ananobi. OG Ananobi from a signability perspective and the reality of, of what he wanted, they felt like let's do a deal for as much as we can because he we're not in his plans or he's not in our plans. And I think from a, a timeline perspective, I think they would have loved to have kept uh, Pascal Siakam uh, under the terms that they felt uh, fit their cap perspective. Uh, in terms of building with a younger group, uh, I, I guess sadly the the word I would use would probably be timed out. You know, he's he's at another tier age wise, and maybe the group that you feel like by the time you're ready to hit your true stride, he will have already timed out of that. So whereas I think Indiana's at a point, maybe in the next year two three, they feel like he fits right in their timeline. I don't know if I'm making sense, but that's That's kind of, yeah, so uh, to answer your question, I think, yes, definitely, what took place with Van Vliet. And look, they had a number in their mind with Van Vliet that they were going to go to, and they would have welcomed Van Vliet back. But when the number got beyond that, and they're looking at the big picture in terms of how that impacts the other 14 roster spots in their cap, I think they felt like, hey, good luck to you.
2: Masai has long
0: indicated That his objective is to win a championship, not to make the playoffs, not to just be a good team, to be a great team. Well, the Raptors right now seem to be far away from that. What is their big, do you think is their biggest priority in terms of kind of player they have to get next?
3: Legitimate question now. Uh, Just two things. Number one, Uh, I think when you look at Masai's track record in Denver and Toronto, he's had a lot of really, really good teams. And this is a different area to be in. I mean, there was the Tampa tank, which was Mm -hmm. a complete dysfunction because of COVID and all that. And they ended up getting Scotty Barnes out of it. So it worked out well. Uh, but beyond that, it's been a overwhelmingly very good run between Denver and Toronto and this is a new uh, new uncharted territory of now kind of what everyone thought Masai was going to do when he got here originally uh, from Denver. Uh, you know, they were going to trade Lowry, trade DeRozan, tank, uh, go get Wiggins, yada, yada, yada. And now we're at that point. So uh, what do they need? I, I think bottom line, they need uh, players that can complement uh, with Scotty Barnes and Manuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett too, I think you need shooting. You, you know, they're going to have to continue to upgrade their backcourt um, and, and bottom line, it just add depth in terms of talent level. I think from a talent level perspective, uh, there's been a drop-off. And uh, to me, uh, when, when you when your team gets a little top heavy in terms of salary, now you got to hit on those secondary items in terms of uh, late first-round picks, second-round picks, free-agent signings, uh, guys that are, come in from the, the your G League guys, or your developmental stories. And of late, that hasn't worked out. So they haven't been able to fill in the back end of the roster. Look, depth gets you a very depth and talent gets you a very good regular season during the marathon of it. Elite players, then, when you get into the playoffs and you move round to round, are the ones that define how far you go. So, to me, I, I look at the Raptors right now. Uh, elite talent, yeah, I think they have uh, a few guys right now that I would say uh, have potential to be that. They're not maybe there yet uh, in a in a, a bonds quickly. Uh, you know, maybe an RJ Barrett. I'm not sure if he's a an A list guy, but he's pretty good. Uh, And then, you know, they have to start uh, hitting on those secondary pieces on a consistent basis. And maybe adding all these draft picks, you start to do that.
0: There is a rumor that the Raptors might be interested in Wiggins. He has not played well in Golden State this year. I think that's fair to say. That's an understatement. Would you be interested in Wiggins?
3: Based upon his contract uh, and based upon right now what the Raptors would put out there in the market, I don't know how the numbers would work to make that happen. And based upon what I've seen from him uh, this year and even last year, I would say, no, Uh, I, I, I I was, I I was in San Francisco a week and a half ago and watched in person how he played. And I was like, Whoa, what's happened to his game. Uh, So right now I would say based upon where his game's at, you know, look, you're not only looking at the totality of someone's career, uh, his career in Minnesota and obviously in Golden State and all that, you're looking at what's it look like the next year, two, three, and based upon where he's at, Uh, I don't see an uptick right now. I see a guy who's scuffling, uh, you know, trying to get it back. So I don't know if I'd want to take that on at the number that uh, you'd have to pay him.
0: It seems that every team in the NBA, including the Raptors, annually are looking for a big man or add a big man. Uh, And yet, at the same time, the NBA, they don't play the same way they used to in basketball. Do you think the Raptors need a big guy? They have Pirtle, but he's a mediocre big guy, to be honest. He's hurt right now, but um, they don't really have a big option. Would you go look at a big guy?
3: Well, honestly, there aren't a lot of big guys out there. I know. That, uh, that fit uh, kind of the uh, definition of what uh, you would be looking for at this stage because all these guys seven feet tall, they, they grew up playing uh, – they playing on the perimeter, shooting threes. So, right. uh, I mean, look, you look at a guy like Jakob Pertle, you know, they're in year one of a four-year deal with him for $80 million. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's the reality of it. Uh, so now you have to try to make it work with him uh, as you restructure this team. I'll say this, Jakob Pertl, uh is the least of their problems in terms of the guy, when he's healthy, and he's been overwhelmingly healthy, Is a dependable, solid team player. Uh, You could say the number's too high, the commitment's too high, whatever. But the bottom line, when he plays, he's very dependable, and he's a guy that uh, is is part of helping a team be successful. He's not the one. I guess the question is, is he part of the solution or part of the problem? I don't think he's part of the problem. Is he one of the top three guys on your team, and you say, man, he's the solution? no. But is he one of those next three guys that uh, helps the solution happen? I would say yes. Uh, The question is now, with the way the roster has been reconfigured here in the last few weeks and the contractual commitment you have to him, does he fit your timeline? And does he fit what you're trying to do in your rebuild? Or maybe – I've had so many people say to me, man, oh, man, he'd be a perfect fit in Oklahoma City. Uh, because they just need a little bit more bulk, a little more size up front. Maybe he would be a great fit there. The question is, though, for Oklahoma City, uh, they have to manage their cap because they have some good young players that they're going to have to pay. And the thing I've learned in this league for a long time, after you, after the third guy, you really got to hit on the other 12 because you can only really pay three guys.
1: Really? Big yeah. money. you have. You really have to have a bunch of kids on their first contracts in order to be successful. Don't you?
3: That's right. it. In, so many ways.
1: in so many ways. If you look, if you look, even look at Denver last year, all the kids that contributed to their success, young guys after the core. Right. And you got to keep churning them out and you right. have to, And it gets to a
3: point of ruthlessness that when, you know that that guy's going to get to a point where he's going to price out. You got to move him before, uh, before anything else happens because you got to keep churning it out and keep rebuilding in, in that area. So, uh, and, and to me, I, I think that's the biggest thing. Look, it comes down to now when you look at a, a salary cap in, in modern sports in the NFL, uh, the NHL, uh, the NBA, the three cap leagues. Uh, You must manage based upon percentage of cap that, hey, I'm paying Bob McCowan 32% of my cap because he brings that kind of value. Bob, if I could pay you 42%, I'd give you 42%. But at the very least, uh, I I have to manage my cap based upon percentages. And you look, you talk to people, personnel people in the NFL, they'll say, hey, uh, a left tackle is worth this an edge rusher is worth this not money wise percentage of cap my mm-hmm. uh my offensive uh my my quarterback is worth x percentage my uh number one shutdown corner is worth this percentage it's all done that way and i think when when you start looking at the raptors and siakam and they're looking at timelines and saying is this guy worth 30 or potentially 35% of my cap on a long-term deal, I think they start saying,
1: I yeah. got to move on. We're with uh, Jack Armstrong, Bob McAllen, John Shannon on the McAllen podcast. More after this. So Jack, uh, Bob talked about big men and, and you talked about uh, the lack of big men out there or the fact that they play with their, you know, with their face to the basket. Um and you know there seems, and this this is me, uh, when the, you you assign a guy like Barrett to a contract and he plays for you, we hear stories of Wiggins. The guy that comes to mind for me is Zach Eady in, in Purdue, who's a big man and he's Canadian. And and I just, first of all, do you need another big man, as, as Bob asked, is Pirtle good enough? Yes. um do you, And do you get a sense that there's a a shift in philosophy of signing Canadians and getting Canadians to play here at, at a certain point? Oh, I think there's a comfort level
3: now because Canada's number two in the world in representation of the NBA. There's a lot of really good Canadian players. I mean, look at a kid like Kelly O'Linick, who's been in the league a long time. Utah is suddenly blown up. What are they, 22 and 20 right now? Uh, I mean, but if they put him out on the market, uh, there'd be 10 teams lining up. Uh, for him because he's an expiring deal and he's a, a, a stretch four or five, whatever you want to call him. So there's a lot of, not only like Shea Gilders Alexander is one of the five best players in the NBA right now. He's yes, a Canadian. He he's, he, he's an MVP candidate. That kid's legit. He's a superstar. Uh, you know, so not only is there quality, there's quantity. So to your point, John, about Zach Eadie, Pace of play, can he keep up? And number two, the the biggest question people worry about guys like that is is he gonna have such a significant impact on the game from an offensive perspective that I can hide his lack of defense? Because in the NBA, everyone puts those guys in screen and roll coverage, and now how are you gonna hide a guy like that who's slow afoot and I'm gonna make that guy have to guard and screen a roll? So Uh, You you almost – do I think guys like that are still worth uh, putting on your roster on the back end? Yes, definitely. Uh, Because things change and your roster changes. And and from a fit for 10, 11, 15 minutes in a game, it might work. Uh, Long-term, big fit. Right now, what I'm hearing about Zach Eady, there's a lot of uh, discomfort with how, how impactful he could be defensively. Yeah, around the rim, potentially, at his size and ability maybe to change a shot here and there. But, you know, it was the same challenge. Look, Jonas Valanciunas has had a great career. As a you know, you know, but, and again, he's a free agent at the end of the year. There's a lot of teams out there that would love him. But people always say, well, uh, he's a hard, you know, he doesn't guard well enough, this, that, the other thing. But this is an offensive league, too. At some point in time, you look around you say, that's the job of a coaching staff. If I have really good offensive players, come up with a scheme uh, to at least stop people enough that uh, I can get the big stops and still win games. Uh, talent wins.
0: You said earlier, you thought you need three big guys in order to be a really good team in the NBA. Three big names, three, ex- three, probably three, three elite guys,
1: three elite players.
0: Right. Do the Raptors have any of those right now? Do you think Barnes is one of those or has the potential to be one of those?
3: I I think Barnes and quickly have the potential to be two of those three guys. And I think RJ Barrett has the potential to be, you know, that fourth, fifth guy that is a really good player on a winning team. Uh, So, I think they got they, – they have some – I mean, I think Quickly's best days are ahead of them. I think Scotty mm-hmm. Bond's best days are ahead of him. I think when I look at R.J. Barrett right now, the style of play, the Raptors play, really fits his game a lot more than what took place in New York. So I like what I'm seeing from R.J. Uh, I've always been a fan of him, not only as a player but as a person. He's a high-character young man. Um, so I think they have some pieces to build with. So I think they're looking at it saying, Hey, we got some good young pieces. We got to manage our cap. We got to start adding some futures, meaning picks and figure it out from there. And and I don't think they're done dealing. They got some decisions to make obviously Gary Trent jr. Uh, Bruce Brown, who they just brought in and then they have some uh, expiring deals that can be kind of included in a deal. Bruce Brown's got to be traded by himself, but, uh, you know, what about Schroeder? Well, that's that's where I was going to. I mean, Schroeder could be somebody who's on a, a relatively reasonable deal, a two-year deal. He could be very helpful to a uh, contending team on a short-term deal. Uh, and then you have cat. You know, you have guys like uh, Thad Young, Otto Porter, uh, Garrett Temple that are all just on last years of their deals. So. Things can open up and things can change here in the next few weeks. Uh, Now, look, there's a lot of debate that maybe this should have taken place last trade deadline. And now here we are a year later and these things happen. But I think the sooner you do this stuff, the better it is in terms of what your vision, you want your vision to be uh, going into February between now and February 8th uh, trade deadline and more importantly into the offseason.
0: A top, in my opinion, a top five pick in the draft is significantly better than a bottom five pick in the draft. And we don't know exactly where Indiana, the picks they got from Indiana will fall, but they're going to be closer to the bottom five. How much, how much chance do you think there is that the Raptors got those picks to use them elsewhere? In other words, trade them.
3: Well, beauty's in the behighs of beholder, as we all know. Right. Uh, but no, I I I agree with you. Uh, the value of those picks currently, th- at least the two that are uh, in this year, uh, aren't going to have people falling all over themselves. Exactly. Uh, looking looking to deal, I think the pick in twenty twenty six is top four protected. Again, Indiana, based upon their roster, I think will still be a very good team. So that would probably be, a, a, at best, a middle first-round pick. So they went for quali- quality, quantity over quality because that's kind of the position they were in, uh, looking at the landscape and saying, this is probably the best deal we could do. Again, you could have the debate, could, could they have made these moves earlier and the value of these players could have been more uh, to beneficial to them and to other teams. Yeah, you could have that debate, but that's water under the bridge now. Here yeah, we sure. are, and, and, and now they have to deal with it.
0: We don't know so what easy. else, if anything, was offered for Siakam, but let me theorize for you. If you were the general manager and somebody offered you one pick that you believed would be top five versus three first-rounders, none of which would be top five, which is more valuable?
3: Well, depending on the draft year.
0: <laughs> well, okay.
3: I, this draft year, I would say uh, I, 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 I would I would be reluctant. I think that's why they made the Jakob-Pertl trade, because they knew ahead that this draft wasn't going to be very good. And uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things that uh, you're saying, hey, even if I give up a pick that's, Uh, It's top six protected, but even if it's a seventh or eighth pick, uh, I'm okay with it. Uh, But in another year, uh, there's validity to the point you make.
0: The high pick is worth more than a bunch of 20s, right?
3: But but as we know, a lot of people have missed on these picks. Well, I understand
0: that it happens. But still, your point of – go ahead. In our
3: our sport, uh, the game-changing – Overwhelmingly, the game-changing player uh, usually is in the top ten picks.
0: Right, exactly. But
3: but, they, but you can make a case for every draft slot from eleven to thirty, where someone has come in over the years uh, and done a great job and, and well, ended sure. up being a hall of Fa- hall of famer. But nonetheless, I think you normally hit top ten.
1: Right, and there and there'll be some that argue that a high second-round pick. Has more value than a low first-round pick because it's not a guaranteed contract. Correct, and I think
3: that's why when uh, you know, as and I and look quickly, and Barrett are really good pickups for OG Ananobi, and their starters, and I think they're going to be part of your growth along with Scotty Barnes. But that second-round pick, non-guaranteed, allows you to be very flexible and do some things um, to add to to get the Norm Powell. The Lon Wright type of guy uh, that kind of fills the back end. And uh, I look at the Raptors when they were at their best in this whole build, that innocent climb, that bench mob year was incredible. Their bench many times won the games and the starters didn't win it. Yeah. But Uh, the now
0: is not that.
3: That's how deep they were. So I think they, you know, I think the lesson from winning a championship. And now the loss of assets over the years and the inability to replenish or redevelop, uh, that's a lesson that you learn. And you say, man, that never ends. Scouting is the Scouting—it, mm. Scouting more than player development is the lifeblood. As much as you can say, hey, we did a great job at Norm Powell. No, Norm Powell's a good player. There was a lot more to work with. When you got Norm Powell, and that's my point is, you could say, "Hey, I'm going to have eight different coaches, and we're going to do this, that, the other thing, where you're going to develop players." No, if the guy can't play, the guy can't play. (laughs) But if the guy can play, then those coaches can get him to that level. And I think scouting. I think when I look at this, scouting is the absolute essential lifeblood. And look, we have a mutual friend. Uh, Doug McLean. I'm reading Doug's book. I'm a, I'm a sports fan. And it talks about, you know, it's all about the NHL draft. And I love reading it. I also read a book recently by my friend Bill Paulian talks about how teams built Super Bowl winners in the NFL. And it's it, it all comes back to the exact same thing in any sport. Scouting is the lifeblood, having good hockey people, or basketball people or football people, whoever it is, That's the most essential thing is that your ability to identify talent and project how that person can be three to five years out and how they can help your program. And if your program can help them, that's essential to winning. I look back at my career as a college coach. That's your job. You can't look at an 18 year old guy. You got to say, what's he going to be like in 2021 and can I get
1: him there? Yeah. Okay. So, the Raptors have played 41 games. This is the mid point right now, 16 and 25. Um, with what you just talked about of finding out if guys can play and if they have talent, are we expected to see Grady Dick play more minutes now between now and the end of the regular season? I sure hope so. And and, was, and should we, and should we is the question really? I uh, yes and yes I hope. I mean,
3: uh, I don't have the answer. I don't coach the team. But based upon game one against Miami last night, he got the opportunity to play. I think he had six points, four assists. He looked comfortable. You got to play him. You got to throw him in the deep end. Look, they threw Scotty Barnes in the deep end a few years ago. And uh, obviously, you know, he won the rookie of the year. I'm not putting that kind of expectation on Grady Dick. But if you are going to use a high pick, on a guy like that again he's only 20 and Scotty Barnes was a young man as well throw him in the deep end uh and you know obviously they're going to be some bumps in the road for him he's already had that uh but I think the kid knows how to play uh I think I think he's pressing a little bit and I uh, last night I thought he looked a lot more comfortable I think sometimes expectations are too high for these guys coming out and they're doing you know they're doing this that the other thing and There's too much hype early on. Uh, But to me, I think uh, in the second half of the year, yes, I would love to see him thrown in the deep end and have to figure it out as a pro because it'll really help him this offseason get the keys to figure out what it's going to take in year two, three, four to be a really good pro. What would you do, Bob?
0: Well, I don't know. Do you think he has the potential to be that kind of guy, be an impact player with the Raptors? I'm afraid I don't.
3: Well, when you say impact, do I think he's going to be one of the top three players on their roster? Or do I think he's going to be one of those next three? I would say based upon what I see so far uh, and and what I saw from him in college and talking to uh, one of his coaches at Kansas, I coached in college at Fordham. Uh, So I I personally think that he would, he can be a, a, a winning piece, Uh, Can he be a Kyle Corver, J.J. Riddick, that kind of guy within your uh, winning program? I think that's what you got to hope that he develops into. And the only way he ever gets there is got to throw him in the deep end right now while you're 16 and 25 uh, and and see what uh, lessons he can learn so he can grow. I mean, is he going to be a superstar? No. I don't see him being, uh, you know, uh, Larry Bird. Uh, but nonetheless, I think he's got a chance to be a very good pro. But they
0: Sorry, Jeff.
1: Sorry. Go ahead. I just I just wondered if he could start. Do you think in the end, five years from now, can we see Grady Dick begin a starter? Sure, why not? Uh, I, I, I So much of
3: it is the other four guys on the floor that he plays with. You
1: right. know, uh,
3: a lot of, you know, and, and you know this, uh, there's a diff- big difference between your five best and your best five, right? And I see him as a guy that maybe the guy coming off the bench might be a better actual player than him, but he's starting because he fits more from a chemistry perspective in terms of what you're trying to accomplish from a a tactical schematic perspective in terms of spacing and flow and what he brings you on the floor. Uh, maybe you come off the bench with a Lou Williams, Jordan Clarkson type player who might have more juice in their game. But do I think he could start for a team? Yeah. I think it's going to come down to who those other four guys are and what the composition of your roster is. And again, these are all projections, but again, five best versus best five. It's a big difference.
0: Don't you think Masai has essentially acknowledge that he doesn't have a playoff team right now
3: well uh we're taping this on uh, thursday uh january 18th and he's having a press conference in a few hours yeah (laughs) so uh i i I, i'll be i'll be curious to see what how he frames it and we normally don't hear Masai speak too often in season uh you know uh, he uh he, you know, he doesn't do a lot of press conferences. No, he doesn't. So I, I'm curious to see what he will say. Uh, I, he's usually very candid and honest, and uh, so I, 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 right now, the fact that they're 16 and 25, I mean, they're a few games off from being a, a play-in team, uh, and who knows what happens after that? Based upon what we've seen with other teams so far with the playing experience. I'll say this though if you look at the Raptors right now they have kicked away 3 games to bad teams. They've lost at Charlotte, at Detroit, and Portland at home. Those But three that was teams,
0: with Siakam and Anobi.
3: Correct. And, they're and,
0: arguably their two best players and correct. both of them have been traded away. And correct. they didn't and get what, stars in return.
3: Yeah, and and that you know but to me like you kick those 3 games away you're like, "Hey man, We got to make a move. I mean, at the very least, you're saying to yourself, hey, instead of 16 and 25, I should be 19 and 22. And if you are, then you're already in the plane. And uh, so, but you're not. And the reality is, this is where we're sitting. And that's why they made the moves that they had to make. Uh, But nonetheless, to your point, uh, Bob, I do think, and I would argue on behalf of Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett, that those guys can be part of your winning
1: program with Scotty.
0: Maybe, maybe.
1: And the other thing, the other thing, uh, both of you have said it, uh, not necessarily the same way, but even at 19 and 22, this is not a championship team. And I think that that is is always what Maasai targets. You know, just being, you know, he doesn't want, he wants the Larry O'Brien trophy. He doesn't want a participant medal. You know, and I yeah, think but, there's well, a real, I think there's, there's a real difference in that. There's there's a lot of teams satisfied just to get to the playoffs. This guy well, isn't that satisfied with with that. Well, we
3: all want, everyone wants to win. Uh, but you're you're right. There are certain companies. I, I don't uh, look. I'll say this: If the Toronto Maple Leaf, if, if there was no cap in the NHL, they would spend another hundred hundred fifty million if they could to win a cup. They want to win a cup now uh, how they've managed their cap and philosophy in terms of team building style of play. You can get it all into that. I'm not a hockey expert. You guys are. Uh, but I, I know for a fact that they would spend as much as they possibly could to win a cup. Yeah. They want to win. And I feel the same way about MLSE and the Raptors when it was yeah. time to go into the luxury tax, they did. You know, they had that discussion and Masai went to the board and they were like, we're all in. Let's do it. And they got it. So yes, I think they're committed to winning another title. And when the time comes, they'll go into the luxury tax and spend and do whatever it takes. And if there was a luxury tax in the NHL, they would spend just like the owner of Golden State does on his team. Right. Um, so, So to me, I think right now, it's a pivot. It's a restructuring. It's a reboot. It's a rebuild. I don't know exactly how you describe it, but you got to get here. You got to go here to get there. <laughs> I don't know if I'm, right. you yeah. know, that, and that's where we're at. There could be some painful moments, but within that pain, uh, you got to start hitting on those picks. You got to, your right. scouting, your scouting has to be elite. Again, to my point earlier player development or scouting, the scouting has to be that much more elite. And then the coaches have an opportunity. And and look, there was a frustration level between Nick nurse and, and management with regard to that. And, you know, you know, it, it came to a head with his termination that, you know, I just think that he looked around and said, I don't feel comfortable enough with this roster. And that's why, you know, you look now and you people are starting to see the wisdom of why he only played six, seven guys. Because yeah. he felt that – so 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 right now, I think from a philosophical standpoint, from a front office standpoint, if I'm Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster, I'm looking at every one of my scouts and saying, we got to go scout better. We got to get right. dirt under our fingernails. And they're getting dirt under their fingernails already. We got to get even more dirt under our fingernails. We got to hit and hit and hit and hit on players.
1: Before we let you go, Pascal Siakam's legacy in Toronto. What is it?
3: Uh, one of the five six best players in franchise history. Uh, I'm not going to start. I'm not going to start putting lists together, but he's right up there. Uh, didn't come from a basketball powerhouse in New Mexico State. Uh, no one grows up dreaming of playing at New Mexico State, and he was a very raw, athletic player when they drafted him. And uh, they, but you know what? Their scouting, they saw something in him that a lot of other people missed on. Now, beyond the scouting, the coaching staff and the development people did a great job getting him there. And on top of that, the Raptors had an environment in place that he could grow in and develop in, that if you put him on a lot of the franchises in the NBA, I question where he would have ended up getting to. So credit to Pascal, the guy is a self-made man. He's an incredibly hard worker, but the structure also was there when he got here for him to hit his peak. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that not only for him, I was chatting last week in LA with the folks from the LA Clippers and they were just absolutely raving about Norm Powell, like absolute gym rat, second round pick. And Norm is one of my all time favorite people. He is a tremendous young man, self-made man, blue collar gym rat. And to me, uh, for a guy like Norm Powell, when he came to the Raptors right out of UCLA in a lot of other franchises, maybe he doesn't make it there either but the structure, there's the certain teams. So the Raptors got to get to the point where they're that franchise again, where they bring guys in and man, oh man, uh, they've done a great job scouting them and then everything's in place for them to develop. And I do think right now the coach that they have, look, he's had growing pains like the other first year NBA head coach. And they hired him for his ability to be versatile enough to coach a winning team or coach a re- restructuring rebuilding team. And now he's going to go through that. But what I'm seeing from him in terms of his growth uh, in the 41 games, I think he's a better coach now after 41 than when he started the season. And I think uh, they have a good coach and a good coaching staff in place. So uh, got to just start hitting on players.
1: All right. Hey, thanks for this, Jack. You, uh, thanks, okay, Josh. 30 seconds. Chiefs, Bills, come on. Well, I'm I'm going to be at the game Sunday, so I'll be
3: screaming my head off for the Bills. And I I, I just I'm a little nervous about their defense. They're so banged up. Uh, I'm really nervous about it. And and Kansas City's got a very good defense. Mahomes is fabulous, great coach. But if you're ever going to do it,
1: you're at home somehow, some way. You got to pull a rabbit out of the hat. I'll tell you what. I won't be on the Taylor Swift watch. I'm going to be looking for the shots of Jack Armstrong walking <laughs> into the. <field. laughs> There'll be none of those. Cheers, <laughs> Jack. Thanks for this. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, guys. Bob and I will be back after this. You know, we spent a ton of time with Jack talking about the Raptors, but you, you, you can't help Bob think that uh, the world of MLSE is kind of changing. There was a time when both teams, the Maple Leafs and the Raptors, were at the top of the heap, and now we're seeing what the Raptors are going through with just 16 victories and... The Maple Leafs are now four losses in a row and Detroit has passed them in the standings uh, and uh, they play Calgary tonight. So uh, you, you wonder what the attitude inside the corporate side of MLSE is with, with their teams or is this just something they take in stride?
0: Well, I think they take it in stride. I don't think the two teams are related in any way other than ownership. And, uh, you know, what happens to each one has no impact on the other.
1: No, I, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just suggesting you know there are a lot of people within the the structure of 700 people that lit work there uh, that actually work for both clubs and do a lot of stuff yeah, for both I guess clubs. So. I, I I just I just wonder if there's if there's any uh, if there's any fallout from two teams that were supposed to be much better than they are uh being disappointing not only for the fans but for uh, everybody within the company. Man, well it, who it, thought it, they were
0: better I didn't I didn't think they were better at the beginning of the year. I told you I didn't think the Raptors would make the playoffs. And I didn't I thought the leafs would be tight to make the
1: playoffs. Well they certainly are gonna be and that they and, are. yeah we'll have a hockey round table tomorrow with Eric DeHatchak and Scott Burnside to figure out what the heck's wrong with the Maple Leafs and what the heck's going right for some of the other teams. Particularly Western Canada. For Bob McCowan, John Shannon, talk to you tomorrow.